Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host uh, today, Stan Jastrzewski, the news director of WFIU. And our topic today is going to be the raid by U.S. troops in Pakistan that ended with the death of Osama bin Laden and uh, the question of what happens next. We'll be joined in the studio by uh, two guests, Rafi um, Ruveni, who's an IU professor of international relations with an expertise in Islam, and Kathleen Gilbert, professor and grief expert in IU School of Health, Physical Education, and Recreation. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or toll-free 877-285-9348, or you can join a chat on the website, wfiu.org slash noon edition. Welcome to the program. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks for inviting us. All right, Kathleen. Thanks for being back. Uh, as you reminded me, you were here right after uh, September 11th of 2001 to talk right, about yeah, some yeah. of the issues. So glad to have you back. And Stan, it's good to be with you again. Good to be here. I did some reporting on this early this week, and so I'm mm-hmm. curious what these two have to say. Very newsy week. Very newsy week. Well, I guess I'm just going to start off with a very general question. I mean, when both of you heard the news, what was your first reaction? Kathleen, well, that's a that's a great question um, because it, it it's as with everybody else in the in the world who hasn't been directly touched by it, um, it, it, it and uh, lots and lots going on in my life at the time. Um, I it, it was a startler. It was sort of like uh, I had to shift my brain away from everything else that was going on, and I I thought. Uh, I thought, whoa, and then I, then I actually said, awesome. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, my, my first reaction was um, they finally got the bad guy. Uh-huh. Um, in a way, I was a little bit um, the disillusioned. Uh, a lot of people might expect that that would be the end of al-Qaeda and terrorism. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just one of many. Mm-hmm. And so at the same time, I <laughs> thought to myself – uh, we are up for a longer fight than we really expect. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about the reaction because you know we had a picture in the paper of, of IU students who were outside of – I don't know where they were – outside of Nick's Kilroy's, I think, in downtown Bloomington, wearing red, white, and blue, celebrating. There were um, people that started chanting USA at, at a baseball game when we heard the news. The baseball game was running late. Um, Kathleen, is that sort of a normal reaction when something like this happens? Well, it's uh, it, it actually is. It's that the idea of vanquishing the the enemy, mm-hmm. and uh, and he was a pretty central figure in everything that's gone on in our lives over the last nine years, and well, getting close to anyway since 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 nine eleven, and um, um, it's uh, it the immediate reaction. I mean, you, th- you, you think about Italy. After Mussolini was uh, was was uh, killed, uh, people hung his body up upside down, and they took turns beating it. I mean, it 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 looks very savage. It seems to people who feel that we should be more gentle and peaceful, um, um, it looks it looks bizarre and inappropriate. But uh, but it it is uh, you know you think about people after World War II. You know, there were hundreds of thousands of people who died in Hiroshima. And Nagasaki, and we went out in the streets and celebrated because the war was over. It wasn't thinking about necessarily about other things. It was this has some, you know, this has some tremendous meaning for us. And this man was a figurehead. He was the he was when we thought of Al Qaeda. This is who we thought of, and that the head is gone. The problem is that it's a it's kind of like a hydra. There are multiple heads, and um, and and uh, it's true. I think that we uh, are probably going to face something, you know, other things that will happen with Al Qaeda mm-hmm, right. that may look very different. Let right. me ask you both: Do you think that that reaction is, in the long run, a healthy one, uh, both from the point of view of a sociological perspective, where here we are, let's face it, openly celebrating the violent death of somebody else, and from a perhaps a religious cultural perspective as well, um, because we've got a predominantly Judeo-Christian America 
We've got people who have definitely placed us on one side and Islam on another side, even though every indication is Osama bin Laden practiced a form of Islam that most Muslims do not. Um, is this sort of, yay, we got the bad guy, yay, he's dead, in the end, a healthy thing to be doing? Um, I think that this is definitely a fear that uh, this conflict may deteriorate into us against them along uh, religious lines. Um, I think more than everything, the initial reaction uh, probably reflected um, national pride. So we got him. We did it. We won. Um, But I think it's a very good thing that the president, President Obama, decided against um, showing the pictures of the dead Obama. This is exactly, in my view, the type of reaction that he wanted to signal is not healthy. Um, this is not a conflict between uh, the Judeo-Christian tradition and the uh, Islamic tradition. In fact, the three traditions share a lot. They share a book, and um, um, the, uh, they share a common history in a sense of if you buy into the biblical Story. They both go to Islamics and Judeo uh, Jewish are going back to Abraham, and uh, and then Judaism gave us Christianity. So the three religions do share a lot with one another, and this is not a conflict in my view between um, Christians and uh, and Jews on one side and Muslims, but rather a conflict between. Um, a society that is facing uh, some bad guys that want to harm it. Um, from their perspective, those bad guys believe that they are doing something good. We can talk about it. Why is it the case? Uh, but that's what it is. So the president was very good at putting immediately uh, cold water on the fire, basically saying, hey, guys, look at it at perspective. You know, it's not us against the Arab world. Mm-hmm. Kathleen, your thoughts on the, yeah, the healthiness? Mine, mine uh, are very similar kinds of thoughts. Um, I, the, the, the concern I saw um, from people responding to it, um, looking at comments to the letters to the editor and and that sort of thing, it, they were looking, they were, um, people who were concerned were saying, you know, uh, what are the implications for behavior later? Does this mean there's going to be an uptick in anti-Islamic behavior in the United States? And, and I agree that uh, President Obama, that his, his, that his actions were intended to dampen that and to encourage us to stop treating each other like others, but that we have a shared sense of being American, a shared sense of moving forward, and, um, and, and that that will ultimately dampen the, you have to have a critical mass of people who, who want to behave in an inappropriate way. And so if you have communities that step up and say, like, say if someone writes something horrible on, on a mosque, you know, air spray paints it, and then other people from other faith traditions come and clean it up. I mean, that says a lot about, for the communities. And so I think that that, that that is, for many people, the goal now is to monitor and, and find ways of, um, of dampening any, um, any hostile behavior. Well, do you think that that the uh, o- Obama's decision about the uh, about not not releasing any photographs? Do you think that was made more difficult by the fact that we have so many so many skeptics in the world today? He he had just gone through this whole birther mm-hmm. issue, and there are, there are people already. I mean, one one uh, one senator, uh, I can't remember his name, Scott somebody. Uh, had said that he had seen photos and that they didn't look like they didn't look like Bin Laden, but it came to be that it was a hoax. You know, there, there are people ready to jump out and say, "Well, no, they're just they didn't really get them. They're just saying they got them." Um, do you think that may have had may have given the president some pause to say, "Well, we need to release these so we can prove it"? I, th- I think he probably struggled with that. Um, but, you know, there are people with going back to the birth certificate. Uh, when he released the long form, there were people on Fox News saying, well, it's not real. And it's like, so there are some people, no matter what you say, they will always find flaws in, what, in, in your logic and you will not be able to convince them. Well, but in this case, uh, I think the president doesn't have to worry. It's a clear cut. Uh, this morning uh, I heard in the news that al-Qaeda – has put on its own website um, a message saying 
Yes, he died. And uh, we will revenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one thing. There's also the testimony of uh, one of uh, Osama bin Laden's um, daughters who was present when um, her father was shot. Um, and, of, and of course, there are so many people involved in this operation, uh, so many military personnel and so on and so forth that were there. Um, that if need be, they can always say, yeah, it, it happened. But I don't think that this is really not an issue anymore. The, the, the birth uh, certificate story might still be, unfortunately, an issue. <laughs> All right. Our phone numbers are 855-0811-877-285-9348. And the website, if you want to join a chat there about uh, about Osama bin Laden's death, wfiu.org slash noon edition. We have Stan on the phone. Stan? Hi. I'd be interested in hearing a discussion of what I would consider a, a short-sightedness or a failure on the part of Westerners or Western nations to have dealt with Middle East culture, uh, shoot, even even before World War II and certainly after World War II. And, and it is reflected in my mind in, in the absence of um, a, a warmth from from uh, them uh, toward us because of our behavior toward them. I, I don't think most Americans realize what our governments, Western governments and businesses have done in the Mideast in terms of uh, oh, what China is doing in Africa now. Could you speak to that? Um, I certainly think that what we are facing in terms of um, the way we are being viewed in the Arab world, um, and there are public opinion polls and surveys that uh, um, prove that we are not being liked, um, is to some degree, perhaps uh, a large degree, our own doing. Um, I think that uh, more than culture um, and our inability to understand uh, their values in, in, in countries that are not Westerns, um, the issue is political. In the following way, um, for a long while and still today, the, the Western governments are led by the leader of the so-called free world uh, have been supporting some of the most undemocratic, um, most restrictive, most dictatorial regimes um, in the world. And we still do. Now, uh, we do that uh, despite our belief that uh, these are not good values to follow, because in the end of the day, we figure out uh, our interests should take uh, a larger role in the cost-benefit analysis. Um, so you are absolutely correct uh, if, if someone in, in, in the Arab world um, is uh, seeing on one side the president of the United States in any given point in time, not just Obama, across history, say after World War, World War II, speaks about freedom and uh, democracy, uh, and at the same time is a friend of uh, people such as uh, Gaddafi after 2004, or um, the regime in Saudi Arabia, or the guy in Yemen. Um, this uh, generates a lot of anger. Um, and maybe the wrong policy to take because in the end of the day, if you look at the structure uh, uh, of the the composition of Al-Qaeda, you don't see a lot of people from um, Scandinavia, for example, or from uh, Israel. You do see people from the countries that uh, uh, the regime's tend to be not democratic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, 
if you can answer this question, then we might as well you know, elect you president of the – leader of the free world. But it, it, this sounds like an, an impossible conflict to solve. I mean the U.S. troops, special forces go in. They kill um, Osama bin Laden. And I think you know, you've said that this may make things worse in the long run. There, uh, you know, there are many heads to al-Qaeda. What's, so what's the answer? What's the answer? Um, I can tell you the way I look at it. Um, and I can think about it in terms of how we study uh, causes and conf- consequences of conflict, violent conflict in international relations. Mm-hmm. Um, in the past, there was this idea that uh, we can come up with the deterministic model and uh, identify causal factors and then say, okay, they, they are present and therefore there is going to be political violence. Uh, and we employ this approach to international conflict or to a conflict within a state. We learned out that uh, it doesn't work because places are not the same, cultures are not the same, and what, work, what seems to be the causal factor, the most important one in one case, uh, doesn't apply to other cases. So we employ probabilistic models where the variable of interest is the probability that there's going to be war, the probability that there's going to be a civil war, the probability of some... Uh, military dispute. Um, and then we identify uh, contributors to that uh, probability. This is as best as um, the state of knowledge uh, can push us right now. So uh, how do you solve the, 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 the conflict? Uh, one analogy is to think about it as a, as a person that is very thick. Uh, he has cancer. That's the conflict. And uh, as a result of the cancer, there are a lot of side effects, right? Um, there's bad guys that's some of the That would be, say, a pain in the foot. And uh, there would be some other guys. Else, so, yeah, pains in some other place uh, that uh, we shouldn't use the word. And, and then you go to the doctor and you say, look, you know, I really feel very bad. And the doctor says, well, you have this cancer. And uh, we told you about the treatments, but you just decided that uh, it's too hard to do. Uh, the best I can do is give you uh, Advil for the pain there and Advil for the pain here. That would be like the raid in uh, Pakistan. So you go in, you go to this place, you take the, the bad guy. You didn't solve the problem. Um, the, the, like the analogy of the cancer, uh, you, can also, you, you cannot solve the problem right away also. I mean, it would take time, and it's, it's a painful uh, approach to take. So um, what you need to do is to change your whole philosophy of how you situate um, yourself in the world vis-a-vis countries where there is a lot of rage against the United States. And these countries happen to be the most uh, prone to providing uh, people that join this movement, therefore increasing the likelihood that you will have more of this uh, type of conflicts. In this case, we would call it uh, political uh, motivated terrorism. Kathleen, let's talk about this from an emotional standpoint. It seems to me that on one side you have the grief of people who are feeling the loss of 9-11 and maybe the logical counterpoint to that in the the radical Islamic world is the rage that Professor Ravini is talking about. Uh, and those two things seems to be, seem to be the kind of yin and yang of this whole problem where if you can eliminate one, you eliminate the other possibly. But uh, what about the the emotional necessity to address these problems as a means toward solving the whole thing in general? Don't we need to address why we feel the way we feel in our psyches and why we are thus acting out in such ways? Oh, boy. Sure. (laughs) There's a lot to that because um, um, we – boy – the, 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 for the folks who, ha- who lost someone or um, ex- in, in many ways as a culture, we experienced a grief related to the complete alteration of, our, of how we live our lives. 
And I found it fascinating the number of people who said, and I heard them saying, now I won't have to take my shoes off at the airport. Uh, and as as minor as that seems, we have a pattern that we that we feel comfortable in life, and if we have to modify anything with that, we feel a sense of unset- being unsettled. And um, for the most part, that's easy to do. We do that every day. You know, I mean, we're unsettled every day, but the changes we have to make are relatively small. People who experience it. Huge losses. They lost their homes. They lost their sense. You know, you, you watch. I, I was fascinated by um, the response that I saw on uh, um, the Daily Show. His in, his intense emotional response because it wasn't. He was not. He didn't. He. To, I do not know if he knows anybody personally who died in the World Trade Center, but his city was assaulted, and his sense of of feeling secure in his home and in his life was assaulted. And you saw that kind of having to reprocess all of these things because the person who was the head of the Hydra um, is now dead. Um, with pe- for people for whom he was a hero. Um, and and that would be his followers. Um, this this would be the same kind of devastating loss that people would have experienced with John Kennedy died, um, <clears throat> when any other leading figure was assassinated. Anyone who believed in the mission of that person feels this devastation because what they organize their thinking in the world about how the world ought to operate is assaulted, and then life doesn't make sense after that. You need to try to make sense now. What I've seen, I have colleagues who who uh, work in Israel, and they have worked on, and it's a, this is a micro scale. So it's not something that you can say, we'll put this country and this country together and they'll be friends. Um, or this, this is people in this culture and this culture together and they'll be friends. But they bring kids together and they have a camp and there are, and there are kids who are Palestinian and there are kids who are Israeli and they come together and they have an opportunity to encounter and get to know each other as human beings. And they deal with some of the really difficult stuff. Now, we don't have enough therapists in the world to be able to run summer camps for all of us. But something similar to that, some, just, just, an, just exposure to some of the, of the aspects of, um, of people in the mainstream in each of the cultures. Because, you, you, I mean, we have homegrown terrorists, you know, and, and these are terrorists and many and, – and all the people I know who are Muslim – uh, um, and admittedly, that's there are there are more than a billion, so I don't know many proportionally, but um, but they they don't see these they see they see these people the same way that I see the people who are terror are, are Christ, who, uh, 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 who claim to be Christian and engage in terroristic behavior in the name of their Christianity, and and so but but I'm I'm a middle of the road person, and so if middle of the road people from the two cultures. Um, can uh, have opportunities to come together to be exposed to each other on a person by person basis or or just you know um, just to get to get a sense of understanding what people's uh, what what the value systems are and how and, and finding similarities then it makes us all become more human and less caricatured mm-hmm. I mean I mean like the five pillars of Islam I mean just you know the things about, about one of the things that people in uh, Abbottabad or however you pronounce mm-hmm. it um, said that they thought they they thought the, that um, um, he was maybe a drug smuggler because he didn't do, do enough almsgiving. Well, that's one of the five pillars. So among his own people, he was being seen as maybe a little shady. So yeah. Yes. Sir. Um, I'm actually glad in an intellectual level that you brought the issue of Israel, for example. I know this place very well. Uh, I know this particular project very well, uh, where kids are being introduced to kids from um, the other side. And uh, it's not only, by the way, uh, with kids. There are attempts to uh, make teachers meet with one another so that they will get to the classroom. Uh, there are uh, cultural endeavors to, uh, um, to get one side uh, exposed to the culture of the other side. There is a a joint Israeli-Palestinian orchestra, uh, and so on and so forth. This is all nice and uh, dandy, but I would like it, liken it, and no disrespect at all, I'm just, in my view, this is not much different from giving an Advil to the cancer patient. That is, it helps, of course, but it cannot change the overall picture. The guy is very, very thick. Now, the cancer that the guy has 
let's continue this analogy, has metastasites. And it's now in several places. So there is a problem in Pakistan, and there is a problem in uh, Syria, and there is a problem in Saudi Arabia, and there is a problem in, between Israel and the Palestinians, and so on and so forth. Um, so uh, which one to attack the first? It is my sense that probably the Israeli-Palestinian conflict um, is very much like a cancer that would be in the brain of a person, trying to signal that this is probably the most important problem, not the only problem, but the most important problem that plays into generating rage uh, and anger toward the United States in the Arab world. Um, because what you see here basically is um, a country that, just to make it very, very simple, a country that occupied land, there are people, they want self-determination, the occupier says, no, no, it's my land, and now there are people living there, which I brought there, and I cannot remove them, and that's where we are. We are stuck there. And in a way, it is being enabled by, by the United States of America. I'm going to follow up on that after we take a break, but we're going to have to take a, a short break. We're talking about uh, Osama bin Laden's death and other issues involving that part of the world. Uh, our guests today are Rafi Rubini, an IU professor of uh, international relations with an expertise in Islam, and Kathleen Gilbert, professor and grief, grief expert in IU School of Health, Physical Education, and Recreation. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcast directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. Programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, as well as play and opera reviews, are all available on demand. Find out more at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? On Fridays, the WFIU News Team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Listen at 11.33 a.m., 11.55 a.m., and 5.45 p.m. to catch that day's feature. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times along with Stan Jastrzewski from WFIU. And today we're talking about uh, the death of Osama bin Laden and what that could mean to people here in Indiana uh, along with people from throughout the rest of the world. We're joined uh, in the studio by Dr. Rafi Ravini, an IU professor of international relations with an expertise in in Islam, and Dr. Kathleen Gilbert, professor and grief expert in IU's School of Health, Physical Education, and Recreation. Please call us at 855-0811 if you have an opinion on any of these matters. Uh, that's the Bloomington number or toll-free, 877-285-9348 from outside of the Bloomington area, or join a, a chat, a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. Before the break, you were talking about your, your analogy to al-Qaeda as a, a cancer of sorts, and I, I can't help but think there's a, there's a flaw in your analogy, and forgive me for saying so, but the problem is with a cancer, eventually either the person dies or is cured. Either way, the cancer goes away eventually through some sort of natural means. And I keep thinking about these uprisings that have happened throughout the Middle East and the Arab world over the last few months. And this has been the way of curing the cancer of the governments of dictators of, you know, Mubarak and Gaddafi and people like that. Isn't it possible that if we do nothing, the people eventually will rise up as has happened throughout history countless times and eventually the people themselves who are prey to the actual actions, you know, the bomb, suicide bombings, things like that, 
or prey to the fact that they realize that these people who do not represent their majority are perpetrating these acts on, for instance, Americans who then do things like issue trade embargoes and hurt them economically and there's a big trickle down on all of them. Isn't it possible that we could let the cancer snuff itself out as it might anyhow? Okay. First, I'd like to uh, perhaps it's it is my um, inability was my inability to communicate well what I wanted to say. Um, it is not Al Qaeda that is the cancer. Al Qaeda is one of the symptoms, the pain in the foot, the the nausea, the the um, fatigue. Okay. The cancer are the actual problems that exist. These are structural problems that exist in the relationship um, of the Western world, as that caller was um, implying, um, and the Arab world. Now, you say, is it likely that the people of... Um, countries in the Arab world will themselves rise against uh, movements such as Al-Qaeda and um, will stop providing them support because they do get support in the Arab world. Uh, They get uh, trainees, they get uh, participants, they get people that are willing to die for the cause. Uh, They get... uh, contributions of money and so forth. So is it possible that the the societies themselves uh, will try to get rid of the particular symptom called Al-Qaeda? And I would argue, well, everything is possible, right? We already stated, I stated, um, that uh, everything in the end is probabilistic, and that's the way we think about the things. And, um, And it is possible. Is it likely uh, to answer that question, we need to get some empirical observation. Um, one place that I know very well is the Gaza Strip. Um, and there is no question that the Gaza Strip is being hurt a lot um, due to its um, a support of radicalism which takes the form of uh, the Hamas movement and the Islamic Jihad. And definitely there are cells of Al-Qaeda there, uh, support for Iran position um, in the Middle East and so on and so forth. Uh, Do we see any mellowing down of the support? Not much. And this is a very, very miserable place. It's a very small place, perhaps the size of Greater Bloomington, 200 square, kilo, uh, square miles, uh, surrounded by um, a fence from all the sides. And one side that is not with the fence is facing the Mediterranean. And uh, you can only go uh, as far as, say, a few kilometers. And then there are Israeli gunships that are uh, constantly monitoring and are not allowing um, uh, people to enter. So... Uh, within this society, in this very small place, there are close to uh, perhaps 2 million people that are living there, between 1.5 to 2 million people. We don't know exactly uh, because um, uh, there's not much ability to conduct a, a, a census. Um, they, uh, the unemployment rate is more than 50%. Most, big parts of the, of the strip is... Our population is living in refugee camps. Um, do we see any milling down? Uh, this is the Israeli approach, which is supported by the United States approach. Um, impose a blockade, make their life very miserable. They will understand that they have no choice but to give up, and they will remove their support from the radical Islam. But you can't say just and because it hasn't be nice. happened that it won't happen. That's right. But uh, as I said, uh, uh, everything is possible. Um, we don't know what the future holds. No one knows. Uh, in all of these games, including in the natural sciences, we look at the past and we see what happened and we say something about the future. That's the, 
I, I don't see that it happened to a great degree in the Gaza Strip. Uh, I don't see that um, it happened uh, uh, to a great degree um, in, in, in other societies, the support, Al-Qaeda, like in, in Yemen or whatever. People are angry. And there is a cancer. And uh, the cancer is hurting. And they have a lot of rage. And um, there's really no basic difference between their approach to, uh, to what they perceive as, as uh, hurting their, their, their feelings and so forth and what we would do. Okay? People are hurting. They are at rage. And uh, as, as long as you don't address their, their rage in a constructive manner and you say, okay, what is it? Um, then the rage will probably continue. We see that the immediate response in the Gulf Strip was, you've killed our shahid, martyr. Uh, he was a hero. Indeed, he is a hero. Every time a leader in the Arab world went against the United States, Saddam Hussein or whatever, there was always support for him in the Arab street. All right, we have a couple of phone calls, and we're going to... Uh Go to the first caller, and it's Jim. Jim? Hello. Hello, Jim. Go ahead. Hey, I just had a couple of comments. Um, first of all, everybody is, is very interesting. What a lively discussion you're having. Um, I'm, I'm a bit of a news junkie, so you know I read about four newspapers a day and uh, listen to your program and uh, NPR and also watch CNN, MSNBC, and Fox. And uh, essentially the first comment I had to make was, I agree with not releasing the photos. I think that that is fine. Uh, especially since al-Qaeda websites have said that uh, Osama is dead. Uh, I think that someday they should be uh, made available, some of them, not all of them, uh, you know, for history's sake. Um, and the other comment I wanted to make was, since I am a news junkie, <laughs> uh, I'm also f- for accuracy in the news. And uh, one of your commentators uh, said something about uh, people on Fox News not believing the long form of uh, Obama's birth certificate. Um, I don't think that there's any uh, program person on Fox that did not believe that and wasn't asking for the long version. That was Trump and some guests. Uh, All of the uh, hosts on Fox did not feel that it was necessary uh, to have this long form released. So I just wanted to kind of clear that up. Okay. And uh, thanks very much. I, I plan to listen to the rest of your conversation. All right, Jim. I think, Kathleen, when you said that, I think you did say that you'd heard on Fox News. So I, I, I had heard that that was, that was the case, yeah. yeah. So, okay. Uh, I would like to uh, – is the caller still on the line? No, I think, he's, I think he hung up. Um, one thing that in what this particular caller said struck me right away, uh, saying there's no doubt that uh, Osama bin Laden is dead, especially now that al-Qaeda notified – uh, on its own website that it died. Does this... I'm, I'm just raising a question. I, I don't know. Uh, it seemed to me that uh, between the line there was this... Uh, a little bit of a doubt um, that maybe he didn't die. Okay, now we know that he died. Um, mm-hmm. Which, by the way, um, also seems to work for the Fox News guys. Sure, all of the Bill O'Reilly's of the world and the Sean Hannity's of the world and so on and so forth, uh, they say, well, you know, we, we believe that he was born here and so on and so forth. But why doesn't he release the, the long form? He could just be done with it very, very quickly. I heard uh, Mr. Hannity saying that a lot of times. Uh, that would just solve all the problems. So... Either they are playing the crowd for their political ends, or maybe they themselves are not fully convinced. Hmm. All right. Our phone numbers again, 855-0811-877-285-9348 and WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. Uh, we have a, a comment that was sent in about an article um, that must have been in our paper. I don't know. It was in some paper. Uh, talks about a, a young person saying, I probably wouldn't be as appreciative of living in America if I hadn't seen 9-11 happen. And growing up in this time, we carry the weight of it more because our entire adult lives have been during a time of war. Um, and then this 
this uh, commenter goes on to say, sadly, her statement is entirely true. Just as sadly, her observation and her generation's experience is hardly unique, given the global view we now enjoy or from which we suffer. I hazard to guess that any generation at any time in human history could truthfully claim our entire adult lives have been during a time of war. Now, as it has always been, but demonstrably more than ever before, the world is one place and its peoples are one people. None of us should rest or celebrate until one person uh, of a hopefully not too distant future generation can, can truthfully claim our entire lives have been during a time of peace. So that's a comment from one of our, our listeners. I wanted to follow up on that uh, with Kathleen, um, and it has to do with the generational differences mm-hmm. of viewing um, bin Laden's death, perhaps, and and just what's happening today. I mean, I grew up in a time of the Cold War when you know, we would be in our elementary schools sitting under our desks because everybody was afraid that we were going to be attacked by, you know, a Soviet missile from Cuba. Mm-hmm. And I hope you had lead desks. <laughs> you know, we were in trouble. If it had happened, nothing was going to help us. But, uh, you know, now the young people growing up today in a time of 9-11 are all fearful that there's going to be some terrorist event that's going to, I assume, that they're, they're more fearful of a terrorist event that's going to occur. Um, what's that do to the psyche of, of young people? Do you, and from what you know and the, the people that you deal with, mm-hmm. is there sort of a constant um, undercurrent of fear of, of something like this? Occurring? Well, you know, it really depends on on their local, I don't, I don't know, the, the best term is local culture, where they are living, what's going on. Because a child who is, <clears throat> you know, this is a unique war in that um, for the most part, we're really pretty much untouched by it. And children can be kept kind of oblivious to the fact that um, that there is a, that, that we have troops overseas and we're involved in war on multiple fronts um, because it isn't part of their community. If they're, if they're a member of – if they're a family in a military community – um, some and, and um, some place where they're they're going to be directly affected, or if they have family members who are involved in any way in uh, at any level in homeland security, which includes policing and fire, first responders, um, they're going to be made more aware of that because there's going to you know you do they do drills and it's 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 a and it probably is part of the adult conversation. Um, and what happens with with kids who are not in that? It's actually more shocking for those for the children who are exposed to this. I remember back when we were talking about 9-11 and they were saying, well, their big concern was that children thought all of the buildings in New York were being, uh, were being um, that, that planes were flying into them. And what should people do? I think somebody even called and asked, what should we do? And I said, turn off your television and go outside and play because it's the exposure to that information that causes them to see that as real. Um, it, it, it becomes, for some kids, it becomes background noise. And then when it, uh, and when it comes to the forefront, um, at, at, at times like this when it's on the news. I mean, parents have to be attentive. Other, other care, adult caregivers have to be attentive to children. And just because they're big, it doesn't mean they're grown. So even, even all the way through high school, they're still developing and develop, developing a sense of how the world operates. A colleague of mine, uh, Judy Myers-Walls, who's an extension professor at, um, at Purdue, has done some wonderful websites, by the way, for parents who have um, – who have uh, children that they, they're concerned about. Kids are asking questions and they, and they want to know, and her specialization is children. Mm-hmm. But it's just the idea that the world is the world that you experience and something becomes normal. And sometimes when children who have lived in war zones come somewhere else where they're not in a war zone, the calm and quiet seems peculiar because it's not normal for them. And so they have to readjust and readapt and and um, and reconstruct how the world in their mind how the world should be operating. Let me let me ask a question that 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 branches off from that uh, of the both of you, and that is, and this is going to sound bizarre or contrarian. Is it possible, especially here talking on this program in South Central Indiana, we are making way too big a deal out of all of this, and if we were to just you know, have a, a shorter news cycle, for instance, where bin Laden is off the front pages of the newspapers more quickly. If we were not to try to go into some deep examination of what does his death mean to all of us sitting here in relatively isolated Bloomington, 
is it possible that that we in the media and I feel free to blame myself here as much as anybody uh, are just giving too much time to this whole thing and thus giving more and more airtime to the words Al Qaeda to the airing of all of these grievances? Is it possible that we're just actors in in making this not go away as quickly as we'd all like it to be on this program today? Should I just say sure? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a, a, anything is possible. But, but yeah, I mean, the media contributes to, um, to something being in our, at the forefront of our, of our mind. And so it can, something can, it's like that with children, the idea that it, it was, you know, the, the film, the same film was played over and over and over and over again. And because they couldn't conceptualize that this was not something that was, you know, that was, was happening again, and I mean, a different thing was happening each time. That they really thought New York was this big city that everybody talked about was in flames, and and uh, and they had to, you know, parents had to kind of help them not be terrified. But then I had a, one of my students say that she didn't want to go to her class that day because it was in Ballantyne, and she was sure someone would fly a plane into Ballantyne because it was the tallest building on campus. And I said, you know, I don't think we're that important. But uh, but it it heightened her anxiety enough that she was. She, and she already had was dealing with some, with some anxiety issues, and and she was finding it just an incredible struggle to walk into that building because she was sure a plane was going to hit it. Um, I have a slightly different take. Uh, I think it's a very big deal. Um, Three thousand people died. Uh, there are some... no, no, no. So let's let's confine it to Bin Laden's death. I mean, you just said oh, this is, it's you, a. You just said this is a this is a, a bigger cancer, and we've just knocked off one little tiny part. You mean the event itself? Yeah, yeah. The event itself is um, um, just you know we killed the bad guy, but we did not solve the problem. The whole gestalt of um, of of, of Al Qaeda as somebody that is out there to get us is a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would like to uh, point out that, again, um, and, and this caller that made the, the, the argument that uh, – it wasn't a caller, um, a message that uh, – Oh, the email? About- yeah, the email. The saying, uh, you know, I, I grew up in a period of war and um, I just hoped for the future. Um, this this uh, seems to indicate a passive approach to – um, to what happens. It's like, okay, the walls just came and there was nothing we could do about it. Uh, well, let's put it in the right perspective. There are two types of walls that countries can fight. War of choice and war of no choice. Uh, Pearl Harbor was a war of no choice, right? Uh, we were attacked and uh, we had to respond. Um, Korea, uh, the, the Korea War was a war of no choice. We were attacked and we had to respond. Um, the wars uh, of, the say, the last 40 years or so were war of choice. We wanted to fight in Vietnam under some not-so-right theory. We chose to go to Iraq under some not-so-good data or maybe some uh, – maybe there's more into it uh, that's uh, some – uh, by will, ignoring some of the data that seem to indicate differently. It's, we chose to go to Afghanistan. We chose to respond to what happened in 9-11, which was a huge deal, in the way we did. Um, so I would urge the, the, the um, individual that sent the email to become involved politically and express his, uh, express his views uh, um, in an active manner, saying, okay, uh, I'm living now in an era where war seems to be the defining uh, element of my life. I don't like that. And, um, and then gather enough of people around you to make this argument, and, 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 and then the people in Washington will just say, well, the people don't like it, so we are not going to be so quick on the gun. On the, on the other hand, though, isn't it possible that the the media who and, and you know again I blame our newsroom I blame NPR you know we're the ones who are talking about the darn wars every day you know again we we admitted all of us that we're relatively sheltered most of us here in South Central Indiana we're not on the front lines in Afghanistan we don't have M16s in our hands couldn't we essentially more or less put it out of our minds 
or make the make the choice to say I focus on the fact I feel like I live in a war zone. I mean, I've, I'm I'm going to guess I'm a relatively similar age to the person who initially said our entire adult lives have been in war. I don't feel that way. And I don't think a lot – I think there are probably a split both sides. And can, can, I t- can I throw in too that if this person happens to be someone who's a parent and you're thinking about raising your children, children learn better if they feel safe. And so it's so parent, they, it may be a parent looking for a way to help their child to, um, to feel safe in the world that that child is in, to not feel perpetually threatened. Because if you feel perpetually threatened, you're living in the, light, living in the world. You're living in a world of, of, of stress hormones, and that causes different parts of your brain to develop, and those are not necessarily the, the parts that will help you to function intellectually. I don't think it's the blame of the media. The media is not creating events. That's nice of you to say. Absolutely. You are off the hook, my friend. Uh, um, well, the off-ish. media off-ish. Off-ish. Right. off-ish. Yeah. The, uh, the media is not creating the news. Uh, it's uh, people that uh, make decisions that create the news, and then the media reports. Mm-hmm. And if the news is very large, then the media talks about it a lot. End of story, in my view. Uh, so uh, nothing that the media reports, um, if it's a good media, and most of it is, uh, is I tend to believe is not politically motivated, particularly uh, NPR or public radio and so on and so forth. And, but and, and, and the, the, so these wars happen, and then the media talks about them. Can, it's can the I people that make the decisions. One last thing I want to say, and that is that the media now is focusing on the bin Laden bump, and that's, that's, that's all political, and that's, um, that's where the media takes it to something that's really different and, yeah. Okay. All right. We are out of time. This, we could have gone on for a while. Uh, this is a great program today. I want to thank our guests, uh, Rafi Ravini and Kathleen Gilbert. And also I want to thank Stan for being here. It's always a pleasure to have Stan Jastrzewski uh, asking his provocative questions on this program. So for Stan, producer Dan Goldblatt and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net.